the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show I'm Ram Castillo, and in this podcast, I'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers, creatives, and giant thinkers. Hello, wonderful giants. Ram Castillo here on the Giant Thinkers podcast, bringing to you episode number 25. The guest joining us is a world-class expert negotiator for creatives and was the former global chief creative officer for Fitch Worldwide. In 1985, he was the founder and CEO of the branding agency, The Lenhart Group, which employed over 40 people and annually billed $10 million to clients, including Nissan, Nordstrom, Charles Schwab, Electronic Arts, and Microsoft. He's also lectured at Seattle's School of Visual Concepts, is a contributing writer for Fast Company, and now brings decades of experience to helping creatives win negotiations and be in control of their professional survival and creative happiness. I'm excited for you all to listen to this episode because truth be told, negotiating pricing and salaries and asking for what we feel we deserve can be difficult for all creative people. It certainly was for me when I started out. Our guest shows us how we can learn to negotiate with confidence. In this episode, we cover 10 negotiation tips from planning ahead to getting as much as we can, why we should never do work for free, how to instantly handle your emotions in the negotiation table, why we should ask more and talk less, and what to do with your first offer. And it's not what you think. Before we begin, I'd like to introduce to you our sponsor for this episode, a reminder that sponsors help keep this show going and that I never advocate products that I haven't used myself and tried myself. I want you giants to have a look at Igloo. It's modern cloud-based intranet software accessible on any device with a web browser. Now, before you skip this part, imagine a central meeting place that connects three things, people, information, and processes. Everyone has access to what they need using tools they already know. For example, if you use file sharing such as Dropbox or Google Drive, or have conversations over Gmail, Outlook, or Slack, it's all integrated. How about Calendar, Salesforce, Office, and Google Apps for Work? All of that's covered too. All you need to do is drag and drop the apps that you want onto your control center page. Basically, design your intranet site to work the way you do. You know your company best, so you decide how your intranet looks and how to get around it. I've got heaps of friends using this, whether you're a startup or a globally recognized company, I highly encourage you to check Igloo out, especially if you have a team as small as even three and work remotely. Now, they've been generous enough to give you giants a free trial. Head to giantthinkers.com slash igloo. That's giantthinkers.com slash igloo, I-G-L-O-O. If nothing else, you've got to see their cool and quirky 30-second video on there. And if that hasn't intrigued you, they've also been recognized as one of the fastest growing tech companies in both Canada and North America, alongside names such as Tesla, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Once again, that's giantthinkers.com slash igloo. 
Now let's jump into it. Whether you're quoting for clients as a freelancer, negotiating an account or accepting a full-time position, you'll finish this episode armed with a new mindset on how to come out on top. I present to you the wise, witty, and empowering Ted Lenhart. Ted Lenhart, welcome to the Giant Thinkers Podcast. I am so excited to uh, bring you on because uh, you know you you cover one of my favorite topics, um, and uh, the audience as well will be able to um, gather that. And it's all about negotiating with confidence and earning what they're worth. Thank you, Ram. A pleasure to be here. Great, great to speak with you again. Cheers, Ted. You know. Um, Thank you again for being here. And, and you know, firstly, um, I will start with a little icebreaker question. Yours is, what piece of clothing would you say best represents your personality? <laughs> I've been wearing Levi's traditional blue jeans for the last hundred years. And so uh, that's probably it. Keeping it traditional, like it. And uh, yeah. yeah, that's that's good. It's the versatility, isn't it? <laughs> hey, they're cheap and I think they look fabulous. So there you go. Me too. I think I, um, all, all designers and creatives um, have a pair of Levi's um, in, their, in their wardrobe. Um, mate, where would you say uh, in your experience um, from, from your uh, own words, where would you say your expertise lies? You know, I started out as an illustrator and then became a designer and then had a little stint in advertising and came back to design and big time. and But then I've realized along the way that really what I do best is listen and tell stories and really try to, you know, have a really pushing need to help people. And, uh, um, and so my stories now are all about Helping, you know, helping people understand the realities of these anxieties that we face when we're dealing with money and asking for money and trying to get paid for our creative work. All problems that I suffer from myself have always suffered from and and still do in spite of many years and many, many deals, you know. Mm. Um, so I feel like my skills now are as a teacher, if you will. Yeah. So you... you um essentially have evolved your role, um, over the years. Um, uh, let's start off with, um, a bit about your childhood and, and give us a bit of context on how you grew up. <laughs> Ram, I was adopted and, uh, basically I was fostered at birth and then adopted. Mm -hmm. And then the family that adopted me, uh, my father was diagnosed with schizophrenia uh, he was a World War II veteran. I have no idea what happened to him in the war. Um, ended up in a mental hospital, and then I was fostered out again to three different families over the course of like eight years, and then back with my original adoptive family. So it was kind of, uh, you know, I would say it was varied. <laughs> mm. And uh, um, I had a lot of trouble in school. I suffer from dyslexia and couldn't read until I was in the fourth grade. Of course, did the fourth grade twice. Um, but a high school art teacher reached out to me, and I had him for four years, two classes a day for four years. And as a matter of fact, I had lunch with him just two days ago, which was, he's 86. Wow. Um, and uh, 
he really he saw I had some talent and I was you know desperate to move ahead and and uh, took a fondness to me and and connected me with an art school. Um, and so when I left high school, I went right to a small art school and uh, um, and then uh, they uh, gave me scholarships uh, and uh, so I was able to to through work uh, pay for it myself and then with their help with scholarships do the whole thing. So I really just turned on with art and and uh, I went from being a D student barely graduating from high school to an A student winning scholarships at the art school Burnley School in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And and so it was it was I I think I just discovered that that was a possible path forward for me into adulthood and it certainly was. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. I mean, uh, I think um, as well, what a lot of people um, would have probably not known about you is that certain part where you were a foster child um, uh, and uh, adopted and that whole experience. Um, how did you, this is almost um, diverting a little bit from from what I really wanted to hone in on, but just felt the need to ask you about all, uh, a little bit more about that. How did that uh how did you respond or for those that are in a similar situation, what can you advise on, on their path to uh, sort of not just career success, but, um, but more uh, fulfillment and not sort of letting that turn into a negative as such? Yeah. Well, I've done a lot of reading on the subject now and I've really focused on the psychology, you know, in all areas of my life and the life of clients that I work with and so on. And of course my area of interest. Um, and, uh, I, I now know that lots of people who turn out to be creative and have creative careers. I mean, we're not born this way. This is something we learn along the way. And, uh, lots of creatives have had difficult child, not all of them, but lots of them have had difficult childhoods because the, very fact of surviving a difficult childhood means you're forever trying to figure out which way to jump to survive. And of course, that's a creative skill is, you know, figuring out what to do next to to be successful or get something done or, or, you know, make some project happen in a way that's wonderful and new and startling. So, so the fact that you're forever looking, uh, you know, for the next opportunity, the next whatever is a creative trait that comes from that many children that had difficult childhoods have. And then the second thing is resilience. Um, when you have a difficult childhood, you have two options going forward. You can just fold and give into it and, and, uh, and, and really, really struggle, or you can just rise above it through willpower. And so lots of children of difficult childhoods are extremely resilient as the result of that and that turned out to be to be my story and one of my mottos always as a young creative in my 20s was you know i got lots of rejections and stuff like everybody does and i just thought to myself never give up you know just don't give up just keep going at it you know yeah <laughs> and eventually you know maybe there's some talent but there's a lot of just you know, picking yourself up and continuing onward that, that helps. So I would say that, that that's the plus side of that kind of a struggle is resilience. Yeah. I'm super glad that you highlighted those things, especially, um, someone of your caliber and your career experience, um, going to the other end of the spectrum now, um, what would you say your, I guess, career highlight, 
um, would have been on on this journey that you've had prior to uh, the this the specialization of you now helping with negotiation for creatives um prior to that what what would you say um would be a, a massive um career win for you well we built a very very successful brand design business over a period of 15 years from 85 to 2000 and uh we went from being you know a small local boutique graphic design shop to doing branding work for gigantic companies all over the world. Um, what was that Charles, one called, Ted? That- uh, the, the Lenhart Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, we, you know, we, we did the global brand program for, for Nissan. We did tons of uh, brand work for Charles Schwab, uh, Electronic Arts, the big game company, mm. and so on. And, and um, uh, uh, the and ultimately, we were approached by a company in England that wanted to buy us, and we sold the business. The business was uh, producing $10 million in, in annual fee revenue for our creative skills at that point. And um, I moved to London, where I went to work for the owners uh, and uh, uh, became uh, global creative director for Fitch Worldwide. And and worked with 27 design offices around the world that had been acquired through a, through a process uh, that included our firm. And uh, so I got exposed to, to creatives and to the kinds of issues that people face, like m- my own issues, all over the world and saw amazing commonality. So, yeah. so it was like a, the chance to work Globally was my real like, oh, my God, this is the real world. You know, <laughs> I'm out of Seattle now. Um, and, and, but it really helped me kind of understand how thinking back on it now, how the issues that I now deal with, uh, how universal they are. Mm. It's the, uh, professional survival issues, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well put. very, very, very interesting. Um, so let's dive into, uh, your sequential, uh, tips, uh, for designers and creatives, um, in the interview and negotiation situation in particular, uh, this is for sure what many of the listeners want to know more about in the context sure. of, of being a considered candidate for a full-time job. So where would you start? Well, the first thing to know is before we even get to tip number one is to understand that all creatives have difficulty negotiating because we are so emotionally involved with our work. I have never met a creative who did great work, who wasn't heart and soul into the work, which makes us very vulnerable in when we're negotiating because the work and ourselves are inseparable. We are our work. So that's a fundamental vulnerability that can be a weakness or it can be a strength. So number one is to recognize that all talented, all strongly creative people are extremely vulnerable because of the emotional involvement with the work. So if you know that and then expect the feelings, um, you know, because let's face it, we are hired, we creatives are hired because of the emotional connection that our work makes with the people that it's designed for, whether it's a product or an advertisement or a song or whatever it is that we do, in effect, our value to our clients, to society at large, is our 
ability to connect people emotionally through our work. Yeah, it's it's certainly not like a, a nine to five thing where you just switch it off. You know, when you're at home, right. you you know right. you're still thinking about the feedback the client may have given, or even the internal collaboration that may not have gone to plan. Um, yep. All those things. Yeah, yep. really interesting. Yep. We are emotionally connected. So, all right. So you have to be. You have to start using your empathy, which we have lots of, to read the other people and understand what's going on with them. That's, And we're also aware of how it's affecting ourselves. So just kind of being aware of those things and how normal it is, um, is, is basically where you have to begin. And then the first tip is plan ahead. Mm. All right. So in effect, when you begin to plan to do a negotiation, making lists, thinking about the other person and what they need, thinking about your own credentials and, and how important they are to this opportunity, making lists of those things. In effect, what you're doing is you're strengthening yourself so that your emotions will not overwhelm you. Um, and you want to know as much as possible about the other person or the other organization that you're, that you're negotiating with. And you want to know how they, uh, how they will use your work and uh, the, you know, the biggest possible way that it will help them achieve their goals. So, so tip one is plan ahead. Perfect. Tip two is always know the range. Every position, every project, every product actually um, that, that exists, there's some kind of a, of a financial range. Every, every position has some kind of predetermined financial range, and you need to know what that is before you sit down at the bargaining table. Mm. Um, and so always do the Google search, always ask around to your community, you know, what, what is the expected pay for that position or what is the, ex you know, what kind of fees do the do designers charge for this kind of work so that you're aware of what the range is. Yeah, that's a really um, good one. Uh, only because a lot of people might not know and they often feel that, oh, well, I'd rather charge slightly under right? Uh, just so that I can continue the conversation or not scare them away. Right. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it becomes really under. <laughs> right. So if you know the range, if you know the range, first of all, you'll feel comfortable with that. You'll know, oh my God, that's kind of what they charge for this. Okay. Well, I could see myself charging something in that range. That's kind of expected. Mm -hmm. So that sort of fortifies you that knowledge. And so then tip number three is ask for slightly more than the top of the range. Mm -hmm. And Makes I sense. always like to say, ask for 20% more than the top of the range. Um, and the reason you do that is that um, is that uh, you that research has shown that when you throw a number out there at the beginning of a negotiation, that number, that first number thrown out, which is called an anchor, causes the whole negotiation to center around that number. So if that number is high and you want a high number, then the then you will end up higher than you would have if you've thrown out a lower number. So you always want to ask for slightly more than the top of the range. And then at the same time, before you go into the negotiation, you want to know what your bottom line is, what it is that uh, below this number, I will walk is the phrase I like to use. Yeah. You want it's, to have that in the back of your head. Yes. It's, it's really interesting because uh, for a good 
I'd say eight years of my career working full time um, for the first eight years. Uh, clocked over to twelve now, but the the funny thing is, it took me eight years, I reckon, to get to that point. And it was really interesting that when I said it out loud, um, the the salary, uh, exactly what you said here, the top of the range and and twenty percent more. When I actually did that, um, it was exactly how I thought it would be in my head. Was the complete opposite. I thought, oh, they're going to knock it back. They're going to say no. It was the exact opposite. Not only did they say yes, they were actually even a little bit shocked that it was. Their response was basically, "Oh, yeah, that's no, no, no problem at all." <laughs> and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" It, it was, and I'm like, "That, that's almost, that's almost double of what I was getting before." And it was actually just I had to take a step back and go, "Wow, you know, when, when people like Ted talk about this, and when you know from experience, and and when I applied it, I was just thinking." You, you got to do it because the worst thing that they can do is say no, but if they really like you, they'll negotiate with you. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't ask, no is always the answer. So that's a, that's a quote oh, I read, read the other day. Yeah. 100%. So it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great thing to remember. If you don't ask, no is always the answer. Definitely. So, so you have to, so you have to ask and, and, uh, you have to know that these raging anxieties that you face are so normal that everybody faces them. And by the way, this is probably bad news for you, but no matter how old you get, you'll still get those raging anxieties. It, it doesn't matter how much experience. I've, I've negotiated $1,000 deals and multi-million dollar deals, and I've had those raging anxieties no matter what the number was. Mm. So I'm better at handling them now because I recognize them, but I still get them. So, so every. Everybody gets them. Yep. Would you say you got better at them, um, not just for the the exposure of that situation in, in particular, but would you say that it's, I'm just trying to pinpoint whether it is an internal realization that you are of that worth or is that that plus the fact that you've done the research, you've done the range, you've done the market assessment and analysis and smashing all those together, you've gone, no, no, this is more than fair. Um, we creatives are more interested in what we're doing right now. This is research-based in what we're doing right now and what we're going to do next than what we did in the past. So one of the phenoms is that we forget our credentials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, you know, we, we, we may be, we may be, you know, fabulous, uh, and have, you know, been recognized all over the world. But we're so interested in this thing we're going to do right now or the thing we're going to do next, because that's where our comfort zone is and the great pleasure is, is in doing the work that we actually forget our credentials. And so it's so you have to prepare for the fact that you're uncomfortable asking for this money and because you do have these credentials. And by the way, you have credentials when you're 20 that are valuable, just like you have credentials when you're, you know, 30, 40, 50, and so on. Mm. And you have to always remember what those credentials are. So you have to sort of force feed your frontal lobe prior to the negotiation by like making a list of what they are, uh, your yeah. education, uh, projects that you know are notable and so on. I was just going to say, I'm so glad you mentioned that because a lot of people, um, 
who I speak to that, uh, you know, give the emergency panic and, and give me the call and say, I'm about to go into an interview. And, and the thing that I always say is, is arrive there about 10 minutes early, but into the area, not the actual place, but you know, into the area, just think about the, the version of yourself that looks like a winner, that version of yourself that that looks and sounds like a confident person, someone yep. that is um, is is highly competent, uh, someone that uh, you know is is um, you know someone that that can take control of, of a situation and not be unsure. And how does that version of yourself look like and sound like? Um, and oftentimes, exactly what you said, thinking back onto those previous moments where that was you. So yep. the whole thing about anchoring and thinking about all the times that you felt good and relaxed yep. and in control. Um, and it's funny how just that, that quick mental shift can, can really trigger um, a boost of confidence and just go to yourself, well, I've, I've done it before. It, it was just in a different situation or it was in a different, um, different sort of uh, scenario. Um, so that's very cool. I love that. Yep. Yep. So, okay, so ask for slightly more than top of the range. That was tip three. Tip four is sleep on it. So remember that no matter what they offer you, no matter how fabulous it sounds, no matter um, uh, how anxious you are to just give in, don't agree to it on the spot. Always say, I'd like to think about it overnight if that's all right with you. And the reason you do that is that because these emotions are running through you, you, your frontal lobe is not fully engaged. It can't fully engage when you are under the stress of the negotiation. So even though the deal sounds perfect, if this is a major deal, you should always think about it overnight and talk to somebody about it just so you have a chance to reflect on it when your frontal lobe is fully in charge. Mm. So, and if they're unwilling to uh, allow you to sleep on it overnight, something's seriously wrong. So <clears throat> that's, that's a good test of the other party and their graciousness as well. And so how would they respond? Do you think, um, what would your advice be to, uh, let's say it's all going really well and then they, they get an offer on the spot on the interview? I would say thank you very much. I really appreciate the offer. I'm I'm totally thrilled. I'm actually over the moon. Um, but I know that I just need to sleep on it overnight. If that's all right with you, um, how does that sound? Yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. And it also um, s s gives the impression, and it doesn't sound like you're you're too desperate. But it also not just that bit, but it's actually even more about you taking it very seriously yeah, and that they understand that you understand that it's a partnership. And, and if you're going to commit um, with hopefully they're, they're probably hoping that you stay on board for a couple of years um, mm. that, that you're taking it very seriously and, you know, consulting your family and friends or what, what have you. Yep. It, it raises their respect for you mm. because it shows that you are considering very carefully. And this is a very important decision for you. And so they go, oh, this person is very serious and they're taking this seriously. And, and that's, that's a good sign. Yeah. 
So tip five is respect. They must have respect for you. And of course, you must have respect for them. And, and uh, uh, that one of the ways of, of showing respect is by you've done your homework on the opportunity, you've done your homework on the company, and you know why it is you're excited about going to work there or doing this big project for them. And so one of the ways to show respect is to say to them something like, um, I love what you're doing in your motion graphics or the way you are in command of your UI UX. And I can see how my skills will contribute to that. I'm really I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity to work with you because of that. So you're you're showing your respect for them in a very in a very precise way that indicates how genuine your respect is. When you when you give someone a compliment on a very specific thing, such as something they have created, and you comment specifically on that thing, it it makes the compliment seem that much more real and more genuine, and shows your real engagement with them yeah perfect so so respect and then tip six is study um so one of the tricks with studying is knowing what to look for when you're studying because you know there's a you know the amount of information in the world now thanks to our new technologies uh is you know beyond imagination (laughs) Mm. And uh, and so you can get lost in your studying. So I look for very, very particular things when I'm studying an organization. I want to know, I really want to know why they are interested in filling this position at this time. So, and how, or, or taking on this project at this time. And I want to know how um, this project or the position will contribute to where the organization is going in the big picture. Mm-hmm. So I'm very interested in the timing, um, uh, you know, why, why now? And I'm interested in the content and how it will affect that company going forward and how they see my contribution helping that. So that's what I'm looking for. And then I'm looking for recent changes in the organization. So has there been a change in management? Is there a new president? Are there is there a new board? Um, uh, are there new products or new services being offered? Um, or is there a new plan that's been put forward and it's been uh, discussed in the press? So I'm looking for all the things that are affecting that organization in the moment, and then I'm thinking about how what they're asking me to do will affect that, um, or you know, you know how I would be involved in that in a large way or a small way. So what would you say if someone found uh, something that doesn't gel well with with them? Or uh, let's give an example. You know, there's a, a red flag in that they might have read on Glassdoor about employees talking um, poorly about the workplace or they've noticed a drop in the growth of the company um and so, therefore it's you know oh it might not be as stable and what, what am i getting into or am i just going to be there picking up the pieces type of role mm-hmm. uh what would you just raise that um or or almost include that in your in your uh, questions uh that you have the opportunity to ask during the interview Yes, but I would do it in a very particular way. Hmm. So 
uh, I would look at at what the press is saying or what you know precisely, and I would ask them to comment on that. I would say, I see that you've had a lot of layoffs now. Here's a newspaper article I just found when I was doing my research. Um, what what do you think this means for the company? You know, yeah. show them the article. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and let them respond. Rather, don't make a judgment on it yourself. Use the material you've uncovered and ask them to comment on it and see what, see what happens and then how you feel about the answer, obviously. Yeah. And I think it's important to also let them uh, have their say. Uh, often, yep. often um, what I found anyway is, is people talk to people that yep. have worked there or, you know, they, they really value their opinion and it can, can almost set a, I don't know, a bad vibe, if you will, uh, going in, um, and a hesitation. Um, so it's important to, yeah, really ask them directly, um, yeah. those types of things. Um, and right. of course, m- many other concerns that, that you might have, um, individually. Um, we had a opportunity with a global company once and they, um, had, uh, gone through a huge management shakeup and, um, there was a uh, massive change afoot and, uh, um, and a lot of, uh, creative suppliers were actually bailing on the company. Um, and I met with the president of the company and said, you know, how do you see our work helping you? And, uh, how do you see it helping you address this situation? And the very fact that I brought that up put us in the position where we probably were ahead of our competitors in the, in the competition. So, mm. you know, I was, he was just dealing, he was dealing with those issues. And I think he was probably pleased that the, his creative supplier was interested in trying to figure out what the best thing to do to help them was. So, yeah. So he wasn't, you know, embarrassed that I brought up their difficulties or anything else. He, he, he responded with, you know, he was pleased that I was, you know, wanted to know what was going on and how I could help. Yeah. So many good things when you, when you bring that up, that up to, sure. to them. Yeah. Uh, so tip number seven is ask more, talk less. Um, Mm, (laughs) one of the things I've discovered in my research is, is, and it sure is true of me is that human beings, we make our relationships with other human beings by talking, you know, you know, our great success as a species is that we're able to cooperate. And of course the primary medium for us to form our cooperative bonds is conversation, is talk. And so we are all hired, hardwired at this point to feel very good when we talk. In other words, we feel emotionally better and more secure when we are talking than when we're not. So when we're in a stressful situation and we're looking for relief from the anxiety without even knowing it, we can fall into the bad habit of talking too much and specifically talking too much about our favorite subject, which is ourselves. Hmm. So <laughs> I have a little phrase that, uh, that I use for myself all the time, which is ask more, talk less. And I, because I love to talk about myself too, as you can tell by this broadcast. <laughs> um, and so I try to remind myself to be armed with lots of questions so that I am asking them to talk about their organization, themselves, their coworkers, what they're doing and why. And then they feel very good about themselves. 
And I benefit from the sense of control that asking questions uh, gives me, and that in turn reduces my anxieties. And it shows my creative interest in them because I'm asking questions. And so the, so the, the critical thing is you want them to talk more than you do so that they feel really, really good about you. Hmm. So ask more, talk less. Such an important point, and and one that um, is really a technique to um, intertwine in the conversation. And a lot of people, um, and you you uh, have heard me say this on on Creative Live, um, Ted, and and for those listeners, um, Ted was actually a, a wonderful guest on. Um, get the design job you want workshop that I had there. And, um, and on that workshop, I, I mentioned um, something about the interview situation, not being like an episode of law and order. You know, it's not like they're asking you questions and you're just answering. Um, it's, it's a dialogue. It's, it's a conversation whereby they want to get to know you and equally you should want to get to know about them. So when they're asking you questions, by all means, exactly what Ted had mentioned mentioned here ask more questions um ask more talk less and and it is even the fact that people um feel restrained or they almost feel that they can't ask questions until the very end is is a totally different ball game that you're playing to a lot of the other candidates who might be and I was certainly one of them starting out who might just be waiting for the next question and thinking all right, this is how I'm going to answer this really, really well. And then when you're done, you just wait for the next question. But it should really be super casual. Like I I had an interview, Ted, where um, the conversation at the very beginning, as soon as I walked in the room, was about how I admired the wooden pillars because it reminded me of buildings in Florence. From that conversation, we ended up talking about traveling. From that traveling section of that conversation, we started talking about food and other experiences and, sure. and yep. just, it just went on a tan tangent and the um, creative director was laughing and going, Oh, we should probably get you on the interview uh, <laughs> on, on why, why we, we got you in here for um, 15 minutes in, we were, we were just getting to know each other um, in that regard. But uh, yeah, it's really um, like, two friends that haven't seen each other for a long time, I would, I would say. And that, that is also another thought that can, can reduce their uh, anxiety. And you could, you know, Google the subject, you know, Google, uh, what should I ask in an interview? Hmm. Uh, Google uh, 10 questions uh, for inter interviewees uh, or any other phrasing that you can think of, because you'll find lots of, of sources of good questions that you can use to spin your own questions off of. Yeah, perfect. And take them on a piece of paper. I mean, you know, take, take, or put them on your phone or whatever. Uh, but, uh, but there's uh, having notes in an interview is completely acceptable. Mm, mm. Very much. It just, so. show, it just, it just shows your, you know, your dedication. You're serious about it. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, tip number eight do nothing for free. Never give them anything for free. You know, I think sometimes somewhat sadly that we live in a market economy and everything's valued based on money um, seems to work reasonably well, mm. <laughs> but it's just the reality of what we live with. And uh, when, when you're in an interview situation and if they're asking you for things, you, if you give them, you know, work for free or 
or anything else, um, what happens is it devalues it. So the value is based on money always in our market-based society. So, so what would you say is an example, Ted, of um, a, a situation where they might be wanting you to do something for free? Well, the spec work, of course, is the classic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll ask you, well, what were your, you know, could you take a couple cuts at this and, and uh, uh, bring it back and uh, uh, give us a sense of how you would address this problem, perhaps something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do, um, immediately that work is devalued. And, and so what I would say is something like, um, you know, as a professional, I've established a policy of never doing free work. Um, and just leave it at that. Yeah. Now, and when you now, say spec work, do you mean freelancers or? Yeah, freelancers, yeah. or even if you're applying for a position, you know, they're asking you to do free work. Um, I think it's completely inappropriate, and I would just say no. It's mm. I've established as a professional that I don't that I don't do free work. So what if it's a uh, because I was met with this situation, and it was um, the top three candidates that mm-hmm. made it through after mm-hmm. two hundred applicants um in this particular role and the top three were asked to uh tackle uh two small briefs um Mm -hmm. that were not large projects by any means but it was um these two jobs have already run we just want Mm -hmm. to to know your um uh your I guess the speed in which you can deliver your design thinking, problem solving, and and how would you um, execute these two deliverables? So they they really just picked you know small parts of it, right. um, yeah. and it was just like a you know get it get it to us when when you can we can better assess whether you're really competent um, <laughs> in, in that. Yeah, well, and we, it happens happens yeah. all the time, and it's and it, you know tr- to be you know, completely honest, it's a very, very tricky gray area. Yeah. You know, how, how desperate are we? Um, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, what's, what, what is it, what does the opportunity look like to us? Um, do we not have any alternatives at the moment? Um, whatever, you know, so yeah. how badly so, you want it really as well. Isn't how it? badly you want it. I mean, um, uh, so in the big picture, I remind myself always never do free work in the small picture. I give it away all the time. So, mm. and I have to say that one of my longtime competitors, um, uh, once we were competing for an assignment with them and, uh, we went in and made our presentation and showed all the work and so on. And thought we did a fabulous job, of course. And, and, uh, they won the assignment and, uh, I found out that they had basically, uh, comped up the the entire project uh, for free and took it in at the presentation <laughs> and said, "Here's how we would do this do this work for you." Mm. And of course, they won the assignment, and their work was was used uh, basically directly off their what they did for free. Mm. And the uh, and I was and uh, history, you know, time went by. They hung on to that client. In fact, it's been more than thirty years. They still have that client, that agency still has that client. So yeah. it was clearly the right thing to do. Um, well, something else also has to be said during the interview situation of the responsibility of the interviewer. Right. You, you know, if if they're asking poor questions and they still need you, despite seeing your portfolio, and and um, if they still can't gauge whether you can problem solve, for example. Um, right. or deliver the the main bulk of tasks that that role requires well that's also uh, poor on the interviewer's part but again that's something you, we can't control um 
you know, I would say, but, I would say almost find openings to talk about the projects and how you got to the solutions that they've seen um, that's viewed yeah, on your portfolio. Sure. But the, the thing is, okay, now you've got three competitors or four competitors and there's been a round where a whole bunch of other competitors have been eliminated. So you clearly are the chosen few. Mm. And, uh, and now they're asking you to do a free something to show how good you really are. And uh, so one of the things to think about is you want to differentiate yourself from those competitors. You want to stand out from those competitors. And since money is the issue there, they're asking you for free. That means money is the issue. They know it as well as you do. Mm. So if you ask for a fee or if they're offered a small fee to each firm, which I've run into a few times uh, to do this upfront work to show how good we really are, um, what I say, you know, one of the things you can do to differentiate yourself is to ask for a fee to do that work or ask for more than what they've offered. And I've done that successfully more than once and won the assignment as a result. Um, and so uh, and in fact, I was in a very tight competition once with two other three other firms and they offered a fee to all three firms. Everybody accepted the fee except me. And I asked for four times the fee to do the work. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were shocked and it was an uncomfortable meeting and we all <laughs> departed. And uh, when I was leaving the, the city, uh, going to the airport, I got a call and they said, would, would you do it for this much? They offered me a little bit less than I'd asked for. Wow. And, and I said, yes. And they said, don't tell anybody because they all got the smaller fee. And <laughs> I knew right there that that had differentiated us and we were you know, the insider basically, because they'd made that investment for, so I changed the emotional, I had shifted the power by doing that. Yeah. But you so have to good. be feeling pretty confident to do that. And I was at that moment for whatever reason, feeling particularly confident. Mm. Yeah. I guess, um, uh, what I think the listeners might be um, wondering is, is the situation of a full-time job versus freelance, um, or, uh, getting your own clients, but we'll talk about, um, freelance, uh, situations um shortly after these tips um which are um i think perhaps in the in the listeners minds uh geared towards uh full-time interview situations sure yeah okay so where were we we were on uh that was nothing for free tip eight so now we're eight, down yep. to tip nine never reveal past salaries or fees Ooh, yeah um uh, when you're applying for a position the client often or the employer often asks what you were paid in your last position and um uh yes and such, my, such, such a common situation right it's like oh how many right. how much were you getting last in your last right. job right and the problem with that is it automatically pegs your what you're going to get in this new position if they offer it to you to what you were paid in the last position. So you made you make no upward gain, you know, or you make only a minimal upward gain. So it's so it's really heavily to your disadvantage if you reveal your past salary or fee. And what and do you so, what do you recommend, Ted? So what I say is my past salary is a private matter between myself and my past employer and I feel it would be inappropriate to me and to them for me to reveal that. Yeah, perfect. And you know what? People think can think differently about that, but I totally agree with that answer. Um, the people might think differently with that because um, they, I think, 
again, are inwardly concerned that they might come across as um, somewhat not honest, I think. maybe It's honest. It's an, you know? it's an honest answer. Yeah. It's an honest but answer. The thing it's, is, it's a private matter. Yeah, and I, and I was one of those people that thought, oh, you know, I should tell them because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's the right thing to do. But at the end of the day, like they're a business and, you know, if you don't, it's again, um, in that same realm of you, um, setting yourself up, um, and look, looking out for what you feel you're worth because you're in there representing yourself. Well, you're very vulnerable. I mean, you want the job. You're there because you need the job and you're, and you're feeling very anxious and you want to please them. This is all completely normal. And so you're, basically compelled to answer all their questions as directly and honestly as you can. And this is a case where answering the question really boomerangs and hurts you. And, and I mean, my fame, my famous example is this young woman that was working in uh, Washington, D.C. This was a, you know, a Skype uh, uh, consulting relationship that I had. I'm, and I was think I was giving her my help for free. <laughs> um, and uh, and she was in an interview. She where where they had offered her forty thousand dollars, which was a considerable step up for her, and um, and then after they made the offer, and she said, "Wow, great!" and accepted the job. They said, "By the way, what were you paid in your last position?" And she said, thirty thousand dollars, and they immediately dropped their offer to thirty five. Oh my and, gosh! And and she just you know felt horrible. I mean, she was like to tears. You know, it just it, it it's like a blow, a physical blow. Take knocks the wind out of you. That's the worst and thing ever. How, worst what? thing ever. Yeah, I mean, total insult to her. And <laughs> after this, you know, fantastic raise, great job, great opportunity. She was just over the moon, and then they just bombed her. And she, to her credit, uh, got up and excused herself from the interview and didn't accept and did not accept the position. And I really congratulated her on that. But boy, she reached out to me and said, boy, did I learn my lesson to never do that. And she ultimately got a job for considerably more. She hung out there a little while. But yeah, but uh, I, I've always thought, that's, that's you know, horrible, isn't it? Horrible. Yeah, yeah horrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah so it makes me, makes me want to go back there and punch those guys. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. I mean, oh my gosh, I just, yeah. How, yeah, that's a different thing, but <laughs> with, uh, with, um, I was just thinking with the response that you give, um, that you've, you've, you've said in that, um, example script, uh, what do you find is the response that they give back? What has been the, oh, fee? they may, they may say something like, I can't give you this job. I can't offer you a job if you don't, if yeah, you don't what answer is this question. And, or they may say, well, it's our policy to never hire someone who doesn't reveal their past salaries or fees. You just, but you have to be willing to stick to it. You know, you can't always get your way. So, I mean, that is the danger. Yeah. I mean, you and know, what can you, you say? To, you just, you just yeah. say, well, um, that, that, that's hugely unfortunate, I'm sorry. but yeah, I'm, I'm sorry so, about yeah. that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. But so. I mean, you know, the the one, you know, why are we anxious about negotiating? Because we don't know what the outcome's going to be. That's why, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't always go our way. But having principles ultimately gives, you know, they will have more respect for you. You will have more self-respect for yourself, mm-hmm. and you will feel better about yourself walking out of there, whether you get the gig or not. And so, treating yourself with the same kind of respect. I mean. 
once I was asked this question, I was negotiating a consulting gig and it was a, a long, long and difficult meeting and I had not had much sleep. I'd flown in on a red eye or something and it was like a four hour meeting in a stuffy, crummy conference room. And uh, after this long time, and I was kind of like at the end of my wits end and the chairman looked down the table at me and his lieutenants were all with him. And he, and he said to me, why do you want so much money? You know, why do you want so much money? <laughs> And I looked down the table at him and I said, respect. <laughs> and I just shut up. And what I meant was in the back of my head, what I wanted was respect for my experience, mm. ex respect for my skills and expertise and how it will help him. Yeah, absolutely. And I got and, the gig, you know. Unreal. Okay, yeah. so you've got a 10th tip for us, Ted. All right. There's only one reason to negotiate. So tip 10 is get as much as you can hmm. the only reason to negotiate is to get as much as you can and that's otherwise not, that's not necessarily just, money is it no it's yeah. it's the position it's the you know maneuvering room you have creatively it's hmm. um uh you know it could be uh, whether the computer you're going to work on is a good one or not you know yeah, it could yeah. be all of those things so um and and remember that it is in their best interest to pay you an amount that you feel proud of and comfortable with because you will do your very best work. And if you feel like you've been underpaid, hammered on the deal, you will have some resentment and it will, it will, it will kind of eat away at you and, um, and you will not be able to do your best work. That's so such a good actually, point, Ted. Yeah, so uh, yeah. actually getting... Uh, you know, getting an amount. And I would say to them, you know, I need to have this much to feel good about myself in this position. Yeah. I mean, it's so many good points about that. Um, the first one that springs to mind is um, the idea that, um, which is the actual reality that a lot of designers working full time uh, actually take on a lot of freelance work. And that's natural, that's normal. But the ratio of freelance work that designers take usually is to compensate what they feel the the their real salary is, um, or, or that the real salary um, should be rather should be yeah 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 and and that um, has gone with me as well when I was um, working full time and and I didn't get an increase for almost two whole years and they promised me every six month uh, review and the reviews were great but. They just didn't put their money where their mouth is, I guess. And um, to the point where I started working as a bartender as well as freelancing yep. just to make ends meet. Right. And yep. and um, I remember you actually um, telling me, um, uh, I think it was even during Creative Live as well, you, you were saying to the audience and myself that um, they the, the interviewer doesn't know about your... Uh, your living expenses and your needs and and so something as simple as uh well you know living in sydney or san francisco or new york or london um as we know is is an expensive geographical location to live and yep. um therefore um it you know it would require um me to have at least a minimum of of x amount um to not just 
um, entertain, but yeah, to accommodate the the lifestyle, which is also incredibly important to me. Yeah, and you should be you should be aware of what your costs are in the back of your head always, mm-hmm. and what you need to feel comfortable in that position. It's the below this I walk number. Yeah, and, and it's it's the accumulation, right? Of of and they they they. No, they they would know that they've been they would have been in your situation. The the cost of um, food, accommodation, um, you know, your bills, yep. your car um, repayments, or all of those things. Right, and uh, and uh, but I would never talk about that with them because that is my my issue. So I would yeah. keep those things in the back of my head as my below this I walk number. For sure. Yeah, but, that's how you would get your below this walk away number. Yeah. Right, exactly. But uh but for them I would say that you know uh, I've done some of my homework and a professional working in this kind of a role in an organization like this should be paid this much money. And that's why I'm asking for this. For sure. And my experience blah blah blah, you know, so I would describe the or I would, you know, help them understand what my experience is. I mean, one of the one of the techniques I I just recently coached a young guy through a series of interviews with a large tech company. Um, uh, and he was interviewing with someone in HR and, uh, but he had been interviewed by some pretty senior people in their design, in their design area. <clears throat> so we knew that they really wanted him. And, uh, um, and, uh, he was uncomfortable, you know, kind of touting his, his, uh, accomplishments. And I said, well, let's, let's do it like this. Um, ask the HR person like this, say, Sally, um, you know, I know that you're a professional in human relations here and you know all about, all about that and how that, you know, how these positions you're interviewing people for affect the organization, but perhaps you don't know quite as much about me and my background because it's so specialized. Would it be all right with you if I described some of my accomplishments and some of the firms that I've worked for and helped? In other words, ask permission to basically uh, tout your your accomplishments. And she said, yeah. And so he then talked about the previous two positions he'd worked in and what his accomplishments had been and awards and so on. And um, um, she was like, wow. <laughs> mm. you know so it gave him a, a way of of that he was comfortable of explaining what his what his accomplishments were yeah love it so ted um those 10 tips were awesome uh real quick just diving into freelancers for a little bit uh mm. the whole negotiating and charging okay and and i think of course uh when we look at uh other platforms that are accessible to businesses these days, such as uh, Fiverr, you know, um, Elance, which is now called Upwork, um, right. uh, 99 Designs, of course. And, yep. Yep. you know, there's, there's so much online template stuff um, yep. as well. What, and this is such a huge topic, but what would you say to those that um, really feel their, I guess, suffocated by the market yeah. and and really can't win yeah uh, yeah uh your expertise is critically important and will be your entire life so you've as a creative you've got to have specialized skills that you excel in that you are known for in the community that you work 
whatever that, whether it's a global community or a local community or whatever, you need to be known for doing something that you're really, really good at and have really specialized in. That is the critical factor. A recent uh, uh, Design Week magazine out of London uh, did a survey in which they queried clients on their uh, opinions of design firms in London. And as we know, London has more design firms per capita than any other city in the world. And uh, surprising, I guess maybe not even surprisingly, 73% of the respondents said there was no difference between the design firms, that they were interchangeable. <laughs> mm. So that is the problem in our industry. And if you, if you want to excel, you need to be known for something, no matter what it is, that is valuable to clients and that you are really good at. And then invest in that expertise by continuously getting better at it. Um, yeah, hone, I, in on I, your, hone in on your craft. Yeah, I um, I am a, uh, a a total believer in complete continuous education. I've been doing, and when I think back, I've been doing it my entire life. I have a problem, I go you know to the library and try and figure out how to address it and read everything or scan everything I can think of and adjust my thinking about it and try to improve or I'll get a coach to help me either. If, if you don't mind no, me asking, Ted, how, how old are you? Just for the audience. Oh, I'm 70. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I was teaching a class the other day and uh, here in Seattle, and I was realizing that many of the students were not continuous learners. They were sort of like expecting. And I and then I thought back about what I was doing, and my gosh, I've always you know read on the subject, you know, realized that I needed help in this area, try and find somebody to be a mentor to me that would have those skills. Even now, um, I'm trying to improve my. Um, uh, outreach to people with my website. What do I do? I reach out to somebody who I've known who's a friend of mine and has direct marketing skills and he's advising me um, and he's being my mentor on that subject. And that's what I've always done. Love so, it. so continuously uh, trying to be good at something is, and, and so then guess what? You end up with a niche, you get known for something. So Yep. So that's really, really important. And that's how you get the money. You get the money by having something that people need and they know you're known for it. And then you're in the driver's seat in the relationship because they've asked you to contribute your expertise to them and they can't get you from anybody else. So that's where your real power is. Yeah, totally um, leveraging your uh your proof in the pudding as such. Right. Yep. Um, okay. So we're winding down now, Ted. Um, this has been super cool. Um, a question I ask most of my guests, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Ted, uh, perhaps the youngster finishing high school, what would you tell him? <laughs> God, that's, you know, I read that question and didn't even, <laughs> what would I tell didn't him? Prep. Hey, hang in there, bucko. It's going to be Okay. <laughs> Yeah, with a, bit, with a bit of a, a shake, <laughs> a shake on both shoulders. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hang in there. You'll be all right. You know, yeah. you'll be all right. You know, yeah. Hang in there. Stop It'll eating okay. too much sugar and, you know, yeah, don't drink chocolate too much, milk and you know, don't <laughs> smoke, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, that's what I would, I would tell him. So uh, on the other end, mate, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? Uh, maybe a person who has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential. Well, I have to say it was my high school teacher, Frank Fuji, Mr. Fuji. Um, Great name. Yeah, Mr. Fuji. Uh, 
Frank Fuji was uh, in the internment camps during World War II. You know, all the Japanese on the West Coast were gathered up when the war happened with Japan and put in these horrible camps. I mean, it's not, it was horrible. And, uh, and in fact, he used to talk about it in the art class and, uh, and he got in trouble for it. And I remember we all loved him for telling the story. <clears throat> and, uh, but he also played jazz and I learned about Dave Brubeck and all the other great jazz musicians and love jazz to this day. And he uh, wore a beret and uh, played the bongos in class and, uh, <laughs> and uh, introduced us to illustration and design professionals from downtown, uh, creative director of the biggest agency on the West Coast, came into our high school class every year, I think of the four years and gave a little talk. I mean, and we were the poorest, smallest high school in the city. Um, and he worked really hard to show us students that there was a way forward as a, as a professional, as a creative. And, um, as I said, I just had lunch with him two days ago with one of my buddies who went to high school also and who ended up, who actually designed the Starbucks logo, Doug Fast. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, the, and Frank said, you know, you two guys, he said, amazing. You were in the same class. I mean, and, <laughs> and you ultimately, you listened to everything I said and it actually worked, you know? <laughs> yeah, that would have been so, so rewarding for him to, to hear yeah, uh, about. So we you. stay in touch, yeah. yeah. Unreal. But so anyway, so Frank Fuji was the making of me, I have to say. Yeah. And I love that. And huge respect to um, all the teachers out there um, yep. who are shaping the the young minds of, of kids today. Um, yep. uh, so Ted, what's next for you? Tell us everything that you're involved in this year and beyond. Well, I just ra- wa- launched my new website. Um, it looks great, by you, the way. Everyone has to check it out. But what's the website? You. Well, you can get to there by, by simply typing in saysted.com, as in listen to what Ted has to say, says ted.com or tedlenhart.com, hard to spell. I'll put the so links says, in. Okay, anyway. says ted.com. And um, um, uh, we have just launched our Worth It product. So what I've done is I've created eight films and uh, and seven learning guides and and four comic books. I'm, I'm kind of an illustrator to boot. And uh, uh, all on the subject of negotiation and tried to price it as low as I could so that lots of people could get access to this information. So it's 300 bucks. Hmm. And, um, uh, and I'm in the process of finishing up my second book. And um, uh, I'm very excited about that. And, and when that happens, I'll do a tour. And I think I'm going to come down and see you guys down in where you are, Ram. In, in Australia. In Australia. Yeah, you bet. Oh, Why mate. not? I think it'd be fun. Yeah. That'd you came awesome. here. Why shouldn't I come there? That's <laughs> that's right. And I'll and I'll be back there again soon enough uh, later this year uh with my second book. But uh that'd be awesome, mate. We're gonna have to organize something for you here if you, that'd be if great. you head down to Sydney. Um that's exciting. First I've heard. There you go. Awesome. Yep. Um yep. but you know, guys listening, everyone uh should check out Ted's Ted's new website. Just have a browse around. He's got a lot of free resources as well, but this new Worth yep. It package that he's literally put together, uh, as he said, the videos, the guides, the book, um, and all the other bits, it is it is the toolkit that you need to really, um, you know, as, as his first book's titled, Nail It, uh, really is is exactly that. Honestly, I've, I um, jumped on it right away uh, when it first came out. Um, uh, a while ago and, and yeah, really attest to the, um, 
actionable tips. And you guys all know I'm all about the the actionable practicalities of of these details. So um, that's super cool, Ted. Um, how else can listeners get in touch with you online, mate? Uh, well, I'm I'm Ted Lenhart on Twitter, um, and uh, um, and then of course my site, and I'm on LinkedIn as Ted Lenhart. And fortunately, my last name is fairly uncommon, so I'm pretty easy to find on online. Yeah, so that's L E O N H A R D T for those yep, listening. That's, that's uh, it. Ted, thank you so much for hanging out with us here on the podcast. I'm so grateful for your time. Uh, you've no doubt provided us not just tips, but principles that we can carry with us and apply for a lifetime in many different situations. And I wish you continued success and happiness. Thank you so much, Ram. It's really been a pleasure. Hey Giants, I hope you enjoyed that impactful session with Ted. I always seem to learn something new from him every time we speak. I truly hope that you can put his advice to use. And if you do, I'd love to hear from your stories. Hit me up on social media. My handle is the Giant Thinker, pretty much everywhere. Now the guest I have lined up for our next episode comes with a ton of industry experience. For over 30 years, she has been producing strategic advice branding and communication design for the biggest and best in corporate Australia. Some of them include Coca-Cola Amatol, Commonwealth Bank, Qantas, and has even worked on the Sydney Olympics. I am super excited to have another female on the show to share her stories and success with all of you. Before you race off, two quick announcements. A reminder to check out Igloo. It's modern cloud-based intranet software, a central meeting place that connects people, information, and processes. You and your team have access to what they need using tools they already know. Igloo has been recognized as one of the fastest growing tech companies in both Canada and North America, alongside names such as Tesla, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. If nothing else, you've got to see their very quirky and cool 30 second video. Head to giantthinkers.com slash igloo. That's I-G-L-O-O. Lastly, I've been cracking away at the final stages of my next book, How to Get a Mentor as a Designer Guaranteed. So please make sure you're signed up for updates on giantthinkers.com slash mentor. It's a separate mailing list specifically for those interested on knowing more about the release of the book, including all the pre-order bonuses. That's a wrap for this session, guys. Always remember your unique worth and contribution to the world around you. Embrace and honor your individual calling. And as Ted reminds us, if you don't ask, then no is always going to be the answer. (laughs) 